So this morning, uh, we're starting a new series. In some ways, we're kind of continuing a new series because last week we talked about prayer and, and it was based out of the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. And so I want to, over the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of Nehemiah and exploring some of, of the, the, just the truths and the principles that we can learn from that. Uh, Nehemiah, he was an Old Testament Jewish leader. He wasn't a king. He, he wasn't a high priest. He, he wasn't a military general. But he was one of the most influential people of his time in the nation of Israel because of what God did through him. Now, Nehemiah's claim to fame was he was the one who rallied the people of Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem during the rise of the Persian Empire. I talked about that a little bit last week, but previously, Jerusalem had been overrun and ransacked by the Babylonian Empire. The walls were torn down. The temple was destroyed. The priests and the leaders were either killed or taken into exile. So they were in pretty rough shape as a nation. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, we get to see the background for Nehemiah's journey to the land of Judah. His memoirs recorded in, the, in that book, uh, they, it records that he received a report from his brother Hanani, who came and to when he was in Susa, which was in the Persian Empire, to see him, that the people that had returned to their homeland, to, to Judah, were, were in a mess. They were in dire straits. And he was deeply moved by the report. And he went into a time of prayer and fasting for his people. And then as, as he went into that, he, he pleads with God for forgiveness and he comes to him and, and he makes some bold uh, requests of God. And, and we know as we read into it that God hears that prayer and, and answers those requests. He prays for restoration. He prays for favor with the king. And then he himself, Nehemiah, he actually went to Jerusalem and rallied the people to rebuild the broken law, walls. And the broken law, because that was a mess too. But it was the walls that he went to rebuild. So I want to start just actually reading out of Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, just, just, to, to, talk, just to, to mention that a little bit. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, you can do that. It'll also be on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. But Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 so after, after Nehemiah had been there and he explored and he was getting ready to communicate, this is, this is where we pick up what he's talking to the leaders. And it says, and this is him speaking, he says, Matt, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then he told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. I just want to pause there and pray. God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it would come to life in us. And God, that the word would speak to us, that it would actually transform us from the inside out. Lord, I just pray that as I speak today, Lord, somehow, Lord, you would speak through me and you would speak to your people. God, we, we thank you. Lord, that we can come to you, that we can rely on you. And God, I just rely on you, Holy Spirit, this morning. And uh, just pray that you would have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've already learned a lot from Nehemiah as we unpacked his prayer last week. So we also learn as we get into this book and as we pull it apart, we learn a lot about 
the process of him rebuilding the wall, of him, him actually coming in and rallying the people. And we can learn so much from that. It's like an incredible walk. And we'll, we'll actually get into that in the next couple weeks. We're going to unpack this, and I believe it's going to be pretty cool. God's already speaking to me about those things. But this week, I want us to think about the context of the wall and its significance to the people of Israel. Like, what was the big deal? Why rebuild? Why was it so important? What did the wall represent? And I think it's important for us to think about that in this context, because we can think it was a building program. But guys, it was so much more than that. If we go back to Nehemiah's predecessor, Ezra, the prophet Ezra, there's, there's um, Nehemiah's the book in the Old Testament, Ezra's the book just, in, just before that, which is good because it actually ha- happens to be chronological because Ezra went to Israel, into that nation before Nehemiah did. And as we look at that, we, we can see that, that uh, his focus was to rebuild the temple. Ezra's job was to make sure that the temple got rebuilt. The, even the theme of that book, the book of, of, of Ezra, it says, it, it's about, it's the faithfulness to the Lord. It's that call of people to faithfulness to the Lord, both in keeping the law and in worship. And because of his, his focus on those things, his, he, Ezra stresses the importance of rebuilding the temple. It's like, guys, the temple's be torn down. That place of meeting with God is gone. For the, for the nation of Israel... That temple, that building was paramount. It, it, was, it was so instrumental in restoring the worship of God. In the Old Testament, it was the place where people met with God. It was where the priests and the Levites mediated for the people. It's where the sacrifices took place. It was actually in this physical building. But as I said quickly last week, Having a place of worship is pointless without a people of worship. Having having a building and a place to worship is is important, but it's like a building without a people is just a building. And that carries into the New Testament. The temple was actually a means to an end, if you will. And the end of that was worship, and worship is about connecting with God. As we unpack this, I want us to consider what God could be saying to us. Because the nation of Israel represents God's people. Well, we are God's people. And I believe that God is still building a people. Now, this was it was a time of political and religious upheaval. It it was there were so many things happening. It was a time of nation, overthrowing nation. It was it was a time of, of religious entities vying for power. It was like, you know, that kind of sense, well, my God's bigger than your God kind of a thing where they would go to war and it would actually be a challenging of their deities and who is the ones that won were the ones whose God was the most powerful. What What Nehemiah did in rallying the people wasn't about the wall. Now, the wall was important because it was a means to an end, again, the same as the temple. It was a means of defense, but I would argue that it was much, much bigger than national security. Okay, it was, it was important, but it was bigger than just creating a, a, a stronghold. It was about Israel as a nation. It was about who God intended them to be. And that's important in context. When you're, when you're reading 
When you're reading the Bible and you're reading the Old Testament and there's so much about the nation of Israel and how you know, that plays out through the whole thing. But, represent, but remember, as you study that, think of it from the context of who God is and who the nation of Israel was in context of what God was doing. He was forming a people. I want us to turn to Exodus 19.5 and it gives a glimpse of God's intent with the nation of Israel. It was so much more than political. But Exodus chapter 19, sorry, I said 9, didn't I? Exodus 19, verse 5. And this is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says, now, if you will obey me, keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation." This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Okay, so the Old Testament, that the establishment of the nation of Israel was about the establishment of the worship of Yahweh. And Yahweh was the name that the nation of Israel gave to God, the Jewish name for God. It was the representation of God's rule and reign on the earth through the people of God. Right? It's like it was a way for God to show himself through a people. The tabernacle and then the temple were types or forms of a way for broken, imperfect people to be able to approach a holy God. And priests, they acted as a way to connect broken people to this holy God. It was the narrow way to approach God not through all of the pagan shrines and all the different types of, of worship that were, that were rampant in, in the area and, and around in the world at that time of like all these different deities and how it all came together. And these shrines and places of worship were everywhere. Altars, it, they just filled the land. Now that's how it all lines up in the Old Testament. I would say the New Testament in many ways isn't that much different. But in the New Testament, one of the profound things that has shifted, the place of meeting God has changed. And I think, what do you mean by that? The place of connecting with God has changed in the New Testament. It says that the law has been written on our hearts. It says that we are the temple. It says that it's the community of believers, the gathering of the saints, the local church, not a building, but a body. And that sounds, that sounds a little bit well, what's the, subtle but profound. It's hugely different. Like this building, this church, right? This, this building, it, it's a beautiful building. But it's just brick and plaster and, and wood. It's like, it's, it's, and it's like for those that built it, it's a precious building. Like, they, don't get me wrong. It's like, it's, I, we, I love this building. I appreciate it. But it is not the temple. It's important to recognize that because sometimes we, 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 you know, we put place higher value on, on the mortar and, and the wood than we do on the true body and the temple, and that is us. It's one of the reasons the New Testament stresses relationship. I want you to get this. It's like relationship, those connections, you know, the basics, the very basics. When Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important commandment? He says, love God and love people. It's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about community. It's about bringing people together. It's like if this was just a pile of stones and bricks and wood, it wouldn't be a building. 
It would just be a heap. But because they're connected and put together the way they're supposed to be, they become something. It's something that's built. We, as God's people, the relationship, the love of God, we sang about it this morning, the love of God for us and the love that we have for one another begins to transform things and it becomes something. When we destroy community, we destroy the context of worship. When we defile each other, we actually defile what God deems sacred. When we are divided, we destroy the temple. Our walls become heaps of rubble, just as it did in Jerusalem. God, it's so important that we get this right, that we get this relationship right. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And Peter's, Peter and James and some of those guys, they are in your face. They get right in there. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, but you're not like that. You, your chosen people, your royal priests, you're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Peter was writing to Christians. He was saying, guys, you had no identity as a people. Your walls were torn down. Your gates were burned with fire. Community was broken and your people scattered. But not anymore. Not anymore. Now you are God's holy people. Mm. 1 Corinthians 3.16. One of these days, I'm going to preach a message on just all the 3.16s in the Bible. Because every time you go to a 3.16, they're awesome. I mean, it's so anyway, but that's a whole, that's a rabbit trail. Debbie just gave me the look. Focus. Okay. Focus, guys. 1 Corinthians 3.16. It's like, I'm going to continue the rabbit trail just briefly. Um, I always, I always uh, in preparation for, for bringing the word to you guys, Debbie is my sounding board. So every Saturday, Debbie and I sit together, and, and I preach the message to her. And, and, uh, and I look at her, I said, please tell me that made sense. And usually she'll nod, right? And, and usually it does. And sometimes she goes, you might want to do this. But it's like, so she knows that some of the stuff that's not in here, so like I can look and she'll go, that's not in your notes. First so. Corinthians 3.16. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? Faith, this morning, all of us sitting here together from various backgrounds, this might be your first time here. That's awesome. That's great. Do you realize that all of us together this morning, are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit lives in you? Ooh. Uh-oh. What did I just do? Ah, good. <laughs> this is the first time preaching from this thing, so I'm like, First Peter, another scripture for you. First Peter 2, verses 4 to 6. So it's still in First Peter chapter Chapter 2, it's just up a few verses, and it just goes on to explain. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
He was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. That's pretty crazy. I mean, he's talking about people here. Like people with flaws, people with lives, people with history, people like the disciples that were almost as big a mess as we are. Right? So when, so when we think about it, we can read that and go, oh, this is this special group of perfect people that God has found somewhere. It's, no, it's us. Right? It's, it's us in, in our humanity, in the reality of who we are. It's, it's us. Woo, mind blown. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Yay! <laughs> I believe that God is building something at Faith City Church. I believe that God is building something in the city of Halifax, in the HRM. I believe that we are called to repair the broken walls, the relationship, the division. Like, we're, we're called to overcome those things. I believe that we are called to be his holy priests, not professional clergy, but as God's bridge, get this, as God's bridge between broken people and a holy God. We're called to, we can, we can all bring people to God and God to people. Like, we're given that, mandate that ability remember we talked about holy spirit lives in us it's like it's an incredible opportunity another scripture i want to read matthew chapter 16 verses 18 and 19 in the new living translation and this is in the context of you know jesus is hanging out with the with the dirty dozen with the 12 he's hanging out with the the disciples and and they've been walking some things out and 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 of course, there's been some rumors circulating. And at this one point, he goes, well, who do do people say that I am? And they're like, you know, they say Elijah and one of the prophets and so on like that. And then he cuts to the chase and he says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, he says, well, you are Jesus. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're what this is all about. You're the linchpin. You're you're the one. And, And Jesus says, good job, Pete. You're right. And God revealed that to you. And then he goes on from there and he changes and he he speaks to Peter and he says in in verse 18, he says, Jesus replied, now I say that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. If I was Peter, that would be like, oh man, moment, that the authority given, the, the, the like, a bind, like forbidding, releasing earth, heaven is like, God, what, what are you saying? It's like, Jesus, Jesus said, I will build my church. 
And the word church there in the Greek is ekklesia. And, and this word means an assembly. It's, it's, a, it's a congregation. It's a group of people gathered together. I mean, it can refer to an Old Testament assembly of believers. It, it could, could even refer to a riotous mob, and sometimes church can be like that. But usually, it's talking about a Christian assembly. It's a church. And as a totality, I mean, it refers to like, a, 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 like the church in general, but it also speaks of a local church. But get this, and I pulled this out, of a, com- out of, the, of a Bible commentary. In the New Testament, a church is never a building or a meeting place. It's a people. It's a people with purpose. Jesus said, I will build my church. He wasn't talking about a building. We see the purpose in Matthew 6, 19, as it talks about this. Like, why is he building it? Why is he bringing this together? It's to bring heaven to earth. It's to declare God's rule and reign in our present reality. He's saying, guys, like what you, what you permit, what you release, what the things of God that you release on earth, he says, I got your back. Let's do this. Let's release that. Let's do that. He says, in heaven, you're binding principalities and powers, whatever. He says, I got your back. Let's do this. What you release, I will release. What you, what you bind, I will bind. He says, like God's saying, like, this is heaven to earth. Like this is, this is bringing the kingdom of heaven into our reality. Whatever you forbid, whatever. It's like, wow, again, wow. If you think about it, it's like how Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer or whatever, but in that he talks about, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound on earth. What you release on earth will be Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Nehemiah was rebuilding a wall to reestablish a people who were called to be a holy nation, a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom of God. God is building us together as a people as a place his glory dwells. It's not about buildings and beautiful washrooms and programs and structures. Those things are awesome. But they're the walls like Jeremiah built. Those are the things that establish a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. So that what? So that you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wondrous light. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Those things serve the mission. They serve the mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the heart of our city and to the world. I want to call the worship team back and get them to come up. And we're going to go into a time of worship after that. But I want us to think about this. I I want us to get this. I don't want there to be a huge disconnect between Old Testament, New Testament, and present 2020 in Halifax. I don't want there to be a huge distance between Jerusalem and HRM from Judah to here because it's closer than we think. The distance is shorter than we realize. The the, the importance of this is greater, I think, sometimes than we connect with. Because when we think about what we're building here, when we think about what God is building here, 
When I think about bringing, bringing Andrew on as, a, as an intern, like to, to serve here in the life of the church and be empowered, but also to bring the gifts that God has given him, it's like, it's because God called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's why we do that. When we think about expanding our church staff or, or going to two services, it's about showing others the goodness of God and making room for more. Why? Because more are on the way. I mean, God is the God of more. He's believing for more. When we think about fasting and, and, and praying risky, costly prayers like we've done last week, it's about showing others the goodness of God. It's about taking risks for his kingdom. When we give of our time, when we give of, of the gifts that God's given us, we give of our talents, when we give of our finances, we're sowing into showing others the goodness of God. We're saying, God, your kingdom come. I want to invest in what you're doing, God. I want to be a part of that community. I want to be your temple. I want to be among your priests. I want to speak your name to this city. When people come through those doors every week, every smile, every handshake, every coffee poured, every mess cleaned up, every child cared for, every song sung, every message given, every encouraging word spoken, every prayer prayed, it's about showing others the goodness of God in our city. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail over it. People come hell or high water, we are going to build and partner with God to build something here in this city. That's what we're about. That's what we're here for. That's the mandate on us as a church. We're going to take the rubble of our past failures and our brokenness and build something for the glory of God. We're not going to be held back with it. When we get into the story, the stones that they re rebuilt that wall from were the rubble of the previous wall. But they sifted through it. They found what was solid in it and they built something with it to the glory of God. We're going to invest into something bigger than ourselves because we have a mandate to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the heart of our city and to the world. It's why we do what we do. It's who we are as a church. It's who we're called to be. We are faith, city, church. Faith is our foundation. Always has been, always will be. City is our mission. It's not about us. It's something bigger than us. Our city is why we're here, and it's beyond that. And church is who we're called to be. We are his ecclesia. We are his temple. We are that place that is filled with his spirit and empowered to make a difference and bring the light into the darkness. For we once were in darkness, but now we walk in his glorious light. It's what Jesus said he would build. And as feeble and as broken as your, and as carnal as your senior pastor is, it's what I've chosen to dedicate my life to do. And I think I'm looking at a room full of people. They're thinking that they're into the same thing. 
that they recognize is something bigger than me. That you recognize is like flawed, broken, who you are, imperfect. That God wants to use you to be a part of that. And that as we go forward in community, as we go forward in unity, as we go forward in purpose, Jesus said, I will build my church. And come hell or high water, no matter what the devil throws at us, when it's all sifted out, when it's all said and done, the church will prevail. Let's stand together. God, we stand before you this morning as your people. A people called together to be your hands, your feet, your priests, your holy nation, your church. And God, we don't take it lightly this morning because there's a city out there that desperately needs the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The desperate needs hope. There's a world out there that seems like it's spinning out of control where there's, there's fires that burn out of control that consume everything in their path and we think, is there any stopping it? But you're still God. There's situations around this world where there's political unrest and there's people's lives being taken and there's... planes being shot down. And it touches the heart of God. Just God, you love people. You've called us to make a difference, Lord. You called us to live beyond ourselves, beyond our borders, Lord. Lord, this, this church is a global church. God, there's people affected by everything that I just mentioned right in this room. But God, but we stand united with a sense that, no, God, you've called us for a purpose for such a time as this to be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the light and the life and the hope and the love that goes with that to a, to a, to a whole world that so desperately needs it. So God, we don't shrink back. We say, yes, Lord. We say, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in me, in us, as it is in heaven. Lord, your will be done in our city as it is in heaven, on our streets, in our communities, in our homes, in our schools, in our college campuses, God. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Lord, we will be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, for each of us, God, fill us with your spirit. Empower us with your glory. Give us unity. Give us connection. Give us community, God, that cannot be broken. Lord, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. We're messy people. We recognize that. But God, let it be unbreakable in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So God, we're going to worship you, Lord. We're going to worship you from a heart that says that we love you. And it's a privilege to be a part of what you're doing. So God, we commit ourselves to you even in worship. Lord, have your way in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.